See, I told you the music was going to be good today. Welcome here. My name is Jeremy Lobdell. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. Let's continue to um, praise and love and focus on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you um, for this child, uh, this um, Savior, this God, um, the one who has begotten and not made, um, who always was and is and forever will be. We praise you and thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a powerful name, is it not? Jesus' name. Anyways, um, this morning as we transition and continue to transition into our uh, Christmas worship and focus on Christ, it's a, it's a traditional thing to do, it's a historical thing to do, it's a valuable thing to do, but it also fits well in keeping with our new mission and vision, which is to grow one step closer to Jesus every day. In the um, months of January and following, we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians to um, focus even more on the person of Christ and his greatness and grandeur. So I see this Advent series as leading us into that as well. But I want to use a soccer illustration this morning. I know it's a long time since we've had um, sports and fun stuff like that for our kiddos, so I think it's about time that I pull another one of these out. And uh, this, The other day I was reminded of this team my kids played on at one point. It's a U12 youth rec team. So this is not like super ultra competitive. This is everybody signs up, everybody gets to play, a couple practices a week, no big deal. Well, this team decided to call themselves the GOATs. Does anybody know what that stands for or what that means? Do they just like the animal or is that something more? Anybody know? What's it mean? The greatest of all time. Exactly right. These little U12 green-shirted, chubby, awkward, funny-looking rec kid soccer players considered themselves the greatest of all time. Now, their coach was enthusiastic, and indeed they won a lot of games, and it was super fun, and yada, yada, yada. But realistically, I think even if you cornered one of them, they would probably say, no, there's, there's better soccer teams than ours. You've probably heard the debates about LeBron James or Michael Jordan or whoever else, and the question is, who is truly the greatest of all time? Well, if you're anywhere near the Christian faith, that is not a question for you. We know, in fact, who is the greatest of all time, and that is, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? It's not a question. It's a guarantee. And so this morning, what I want to do is actually ask that question, not who is, but what makes Jesus the greatest of all time? Not who, but what. What makes Jesus the greatest of all time. Now, there's a lot of ways one could go about that, and we could spend an enormous amount of time talking about all of Jesus' amazingness this morning, but what I want to do is focus in on one text in particular, one that we hear at Christmas time often, and that is Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. This is the announcement of the angel to Mary, when the angel approaches her and tells her that she's going to have a son. And in that announcement, in verse 32, the angel tells Mary that he will be great. Jesus will be great. 
perhaps the understatement of forever. There's no really great way that I have to say how great he is. And so what I'd instead like to do is just point out a few things, three, three um, things that prove from this text what makes Jesus so great. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and following. That's Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and following. It'll be up on the screens too. If you're following along at home, you can read in your Bible or watch it on your um, screen. Here it is. Luke 1, 26. Three things that make Jesus great. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary responded, like we should all respond to God's work. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We praise you for who you are, and we ask that you would bless it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So what makes Jesus so great? Well, the the first thing that this thing lines out is his human lineage, and I need to unpack that a little bit more. But let's start with that, the human lineage of Jesus Christ. A long time ago, way back when, when restaurants were open, My wife and I used to, on occasion, go on a date night. She said to me the other night, I'm looking forward to our next date night. I said, me too. That'll be interesting. But we went to this restaurant in Bay City. It was in a hotel. I'm, you know, we're not super TV watchers, so I'm not always tuned in to the latest and greatest fad or pop culture thing or whatever. And I saw all these people, these women, sitting around a table with giant hats on. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? (laughs) This is a hat convention (laughs) or what? This is strange. But they were really dressed up and it was clear that they had been intentional about coming out to eat tonight. And my wife is, of course, you know, elbowing me, trying to get me not to stare and da-da-da-da. And she's like, it's the wedding. And I'm like, oh, of course. What wedding? (laughs) 
It was the royal wedding, one of the first in a long time, and everybody was celebrating, and so blah, blah, blah. People who are into royalty and stuff like that were really excited about it. Since our time zones are different, this is going to be like a watch night party for them. So they get all dressed up, they go to dinner, they stay up all night long, they watch all the ceremony. And, oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> you know, I don't know. What's on the next channel? Click. Hmm, <laughs> football. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's just lost on me, as you can see. You know, I'm not that fascinated with royalty. I mean, there's, it's, you know, cultural, and I'm sure because I'm American, I'm like, whatever, the queen, the crown, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. We change them out every four years. It doesn't matter anyways, you know. But for those who are familiar with this cultural context, being of royal descent is a really, really big deal. Of course, we've seen the castles, the lands, the properties, the estates, the land. I mean, just to be born into this family means you inherit everything that this family has. You own it, and it's yours at your disposal. This weekend, you can be off wherever, and next weekend, wherever, because all of that land is yours. This fascination with royalty although lost on me, was not lost on Mary. When the angel comes to her and says, look, he will inherit the throne of his father, David, Mary was completely overwhelmed. What? Throne? We're, we're under Roman oppression. David was the greatest king in Israel's history. He owned everything. All the lands were his. People came from far away to pay homage and tribute. And you're saying he's going to be like that? How can this be? The prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah, the great kings of old, the ruler who would judge from all... I want to say sea to shiny she. That's our land. Theirs would be from Dan to Beersheba. But... The ruler who would judge the entire area and rule justly and shepherd God's people and provide hope and make all things right. Well, she was left in complete wonder and awe. Jesus' lineage from the family of David was the predicted line for the Messiah to save God's people. Jesus was from the right family. And for us who are in the United States, we probably don't appreciate it that because we would say something like, well, what's so special about that? Is there something different about their DNA? Royal blood? Yes, there is something different about Jesus' blood. Unlike all the other blood in the entire world, Jesus' blood is the one that will save the world. Of this family, of this household, the king shall come. We need Jesus' blood to cleanse us from our sins. We need Jesus' blood to heal our world. We need Jesus' blood to make all things well. Perhaps if you're like me, you're not particularly fascinated with a royal family, but here is one who does have, in fact, something very special in his blood. We need Jesus and we need his royal descent.
It's not enough for him to be born of anyone. He has to be, in particular, the promised Messiah. I want to make one other quick application here, just so we don't go too far without this. You know, family's a big deal, right? I mean, we know, even if you're sitting by yourself this morning, or you're having trouble in your family, or you came in, and the reason you came to church today is because you're looking for answers, and just praying to God that there is hope, even though everything seems crashing down around you. Look, there is, and that hope is in Jesus, in his blood, and getting brought into his family. All of our other human families are broken and messed up, and we got issues. I heard a comedian the other day say, raise your hand if you got a crazy family member. And then he said, and if you're not raising your hand, you know what that means. Look, family's got issues, and our church is a family. We got issues, but the only way to be brought into a place of true acceptance, belonging, love, forgiveness, unity, harmony, and perfection is through the blood of Christ. His family is the only hope we have, and that's why it's so special to be part of a church, because as a church, you begin to see that. I mean, still, like I said, we're imperfect, we mess up. But you begin to see God's family take root in a church. We want to be a gospel-centered family here at Midland Free. And what I notice is this. You know, I know we're working hard to do social distancing, and we're working hard to be good citizens in our community. But it's funny because I think it's particularly hard for Christians because the rule is, you know, only members of your own household, you know, just don't spread out too far, but when you see people in your church, you feel like, what? They're a family. (laughs) They're a family. We're going to give you a hug because you're a family member. And so it's different. There is something special and mystical about the body of Christ that is brought together through Jesus' blood. We are brought in by the blood of Christ into the royal family. And as such... If Jesus is the king of the world, and if he will come back, and he sets up his kingdom and his rule and his throne, you know what that means? All the land belongs to us. The the meek inherit the earth. Those who are persecuted and rejected for righteousness' sake, they inherit the lands, and all of a sudden... We who are longing for acceptance and looking for our home and strangers and aliens in this world are brought into royalty. And we can go here or there or everywhere and we know that all belongs to the king, our God, our savior, our brother, Jesus. What makes Jesus so great? One of the things is his human lineage. He has to be from this royal family. It's the only way all of it will work and the prophecies can come true. Number one, Jesus' human lineage. Number two, Jesus' divine lineage. Divine lineage. Verse 32 says this. It says that Jesus is the Son of the Most High. That he will be the Son, that he is the Son of the Most High. Now I need to unpack that one a bit too because... What happens is, because we are human, when we hear the word son, we just naturally assume, and rightly so, physiological descendant, like DNA or adoption or something like that. If there is a son, it means they came from 
a male and a female. But Jesus is a son of the Most High, which is a euphemistic way of saying the Lord God Almighty. So what does that mean? Well, some cults will interpret it to say that Jesus is an actual descendant of God, that he came like after God, that he came from God, and that um, Jesus' brother would be Satan, and then all the other souls after that are other descendants, and Jesus is the one that you want to be like because he is the highest of all these other demigods. That is heresy. Jesus is, according to scriptures, and particularly according to the way the early church fathers define this, They explain it because people were messing it up, not because they were making it up, but because they needed to be clear. And they say, Jesus is begotten, not made. John 3.16 says he was the only begotten, the monogeneo. That means that Jesus proceeds from the Trinity, from the deity, that he goes out from there. But it is not that he had a specific point in time in which he came into being. Instead, Jesus always was and always is and forever will be. But from our internal space-time continuum, the perspective is that at some point in our time, measured by you know revolutions around the sun and days and nights and all that, that Jesus became human. But if you step outside of that and you say and you look at it from afar as God would, not measured by the sun, moon, and the stars, but saying before there was time, before there was space, before there was matter, God was. When there was nothing, there was God. God always existed. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. So Jesus is not something that, poom, dropped out of the sky or became or was born like a human being, that he has a specific start and a specific end, but he was always the eternal son, which means he always proceeded from the Father. Now, from our perspective, at some point in time, he took on human flesh. He added to his deity humanity. And from that point in time, forever and ever, Jesus will always be the God-man. Even right now, Jesus is still fully human. Okay, can you believe that? That's hard to believe, but it's true. Even now, Jesus is still fully human. He took on flesh. He brought that nature to become one with himself. And so he is forever our mediator, our, our intercessor, and... Our Savior. This is absolutely, absolutely essential to the Christian faith. You cannot be a Christian if you don't believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. This is an just incontrovertible. You can't. Do you know what I'm saying here? <laughs> this one can't change. This is a big deal. Jesus came to our world. Verses 34 and 35 say, basically, in a way that no one ever has or no one ever will, he was born of a virgin. What were you going to say, Georgia? You got it. Good job. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born in a way that evokes what happened at creation. In creation, here's a slide. Let me show you. Genesis 1-2, it says this. The earth was 
without form and void before there was humanity. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And listen to this phrase. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, at the conception of Christ, when Mary asked, how will this happen? The answer is, the Spirit of God will come upon you. It's not deity mating with humanity. That is a Greco-Roman mythopoetic pagan concept. That's not this. What this is trying to communicate is that this is a special creative act of God with no human participation whatsoever. No human participation. And that is huge because if people got involved, what happens? We mess it up. We would give him inherited sin. We would provide something for Jesus that would prevent him from being our savior. We would give him that sin tendency we call the sin nature to become part of him. But Jesus, to be fully God and fully man and free from sin, can't have that. So he comes into our world, into our existence, in a way that none of us ever have or ever will. This is a special creative act, the virgin birth. So this is also absolutely essential to Christianity. If you deny the virgin birth, you deny Jesus. If you deny the virgin birth, it means you cannot be a Christian. Jesus has to be born of a virgin to be free from sin and to be who he said he was. This is a unique miracle specific only to the only begotten son of the living God. Do you see how important that is? This is a big deal. He can't be our savior without us. And look at the application for your human life or for your, yeah, for our human lives. Here's what happens if you this this gospel is written by a guy named what? Who wrote this book that we're reading today? Luke. And Luke also wrote another book in the New Testament called Acts. And Acts, we always say, "Wow, we can really see something in Acts. What do we see going on a lot in Acts?" The work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we think, oh, Luke is all, or Acts is all about the Holy Spirit. I would say to you that Luke is all about the Holy Spirit. That you see from the beginning of his letters to the end the work of the Holy Spirit, including the incarnation or the becoming human of Jesus Christ. That Jesus himself had to depend on the Holy Spirit. For his conception. For Jesus to become human. Not to become. To exist. But to become human. The Holy Spirit had to do its creative work. All throughout the book of Luke. You see these incredible miracles. We'll talk about here in just a second. But it's all driven. By the Holy Spirit. Not just in Acts. But in Luke too. And Jesus himself. Had to depend upon the Holy Spirit. In order to become flesh. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. So what makes Jesus so great? Well, there's his human lineage, his divine lineage, which we're talking about right now, which is driven by the Holy Spirit. Now, before we go too far again, let me apply this and massage it in. Look, if Jesus had to depend on the Holy Spirit, you better believe we need to too. 
I mean, if the only begotten Son of the living God needed the Holy Spirit to come into existence, you better believe as Christians that we need the Holy Spirit's power to make us alive as well. If you want to walk with God, if you want to follow Him, you need the Holy Spirit in His life. You need to listen closely, get that clutter out of your mind, pay attention, focus in, and listen for the still, small voice. Oftentimes, I feel like Holy Spirit only speaks once, and if we miss it, we miss it. <laughs> I mean, it's quiet, it's subtle, and you've got to listen. And if you don't act then, it's too late. And the Holy Spirit is the only one who can bring people from death to life. He is the creative, divine element. And so, when you want to see your loved one come to know Jesus... When you want to see evangelism get effective, when you want to see God's power go forth, you have to evoke the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to call upon Him. You can give the best logical argument. You can read thoroughly. You can love extravagantly. You can sacrifice endlessly. But if the Holy Spirit of God does not awaken that person from death to life that will never come to know Christ. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can take someone from death to life. And that is what we see being occurring here in the barren womb of Elizabeth and in the virgin womb of Mary. The transformative, life-giving, supernatural, creative act of the Holy Spirit. That's what I need in my life. And I think that's what you need in yours too. I mean, I know there's things that are broken that I can't fix. And the only way, the only way that that's going to change is the power of the Holy Spirit. So number one is human lineage, David. His divine lineage, the Holy Spirit. Not that he came into being, but he took on flesh. And number three, the third thing, the last thing that I'll address from this text today is Jesus, what makes him so great is his limitless power and strength. His limitless power and strength. Look at verse 37. It says this, Nothing will be impossible with God. Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. You know, it's a big deal that this virgin is going to have a baby. But think about what comes after that. I mean, she has no idea what's coming. Much like anyone going into parenting, I mean, you have no idea. <laughs> and even if you've had a child before, with the next one, you had no idea. Even if you have twins, you have no idea. Mary, nothing will be impossible. This child, he's going to walk on water. This child's going to turn water into wine. He's going to heal people like from far away without even touching them. He knows what's going on at two places at once. He can read people's mind. He can cast out demons. He can break down strongholds. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to come alive again. He's going to go up to heaven to sit on that throne that we were talking about. You have no idea. Nothing will be impossible with God. Look at the nature of these miracles. He walks on water. He has power over creation. Like the rules of nature, they don't apply to him. 
That's because he wrote them. He transforms substances. I mean, we, I don't even understand half the stuff that most of you do here at Dow and other chemical places. But this is what I call some pretty amazing chemistry. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to him. He does whatever he wants to it. He just tells it and it does. Space and time. Some of these healings, if you look at the nature of his miracles, he'll be in one place and heal somebody in another. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He shows up. He already knew what happened. Nobody's told him. And he fixes it. He's everywhere all the time. Even the forces of darkness, 1 John 3, 8, cannot withstand him. It says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He obliterates them. He destroys them. He breaks down strongholds. And then he demonstrates this with that special blood on the cross. He demonstrates his power over life and death through the resurrection. He demonstrates his deity and vindication that this was no martyr or accident through the ascension. One of the things that makes Jesus the greatest of all time is his limitless power and strength. There just isn't a challenge big enough for him. And that's important for me. I don't know what that's like for you, but I need that because my strength is limited. I am weak. At the end of every day, I feel exhausted. I'm tired when I get up in the morning. I'm tired in the afternoon. And I know there's times I get down and discouraged and I need someone to intercede on my behalf. I have failed and I cannot keep going. I need an intercessor. I need an advocate. I need someone who is able to pay for my sins and go before the Father and tell him, it's okay, I got this. Give him a break. We'll get through it. Let me go and help him. I need an intercessor. I need an advocate. I need an encourager. And this is what Jesus does. This is who he is. This is his name as the go before. He breaks down these strongholds. He goes before us and he secures our future. He gives us hope. He gives us hope. Jesus is indeed the greatest of all time from his human lineage to his divine lineage lineage to his unlimited power and strength and I want to challenge us as we conclude then how do we respond to that verse 38 Mary shows us Mary's response is the best response in the entire Bible now she is not divine she is not worthy of worship you shouldn't pray to her or through her or anything else you have an advocate and his name is Jesus but let me tell you what this is one special person verse 38 says this Mary responds to all of this overwhelming news. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Who can say that? I mean, I've defied that this week. But Mary says, Lord, I don't care what will happen to me. Do your worst. Do your will. Come what may. Let it be. She understands the ridicule, the ostracization, the potential divorce, her life of misery. 
And in order to accomplish the Lord's will, she says, let it be. Man, if we could respond like that to whatever comes into our life. Wow. This is the faith and patience of Job times 10. Here is this young, single, betrothed, virgin, promised, and now about to lose everything. And she says, let it be to me according to your word. Man, come COVID, come whatever, come what may. Lord, let it be to us according to your word. Can you say that? Can I say that? I don't want to say that. That's why the saints of old sings songs like, It is well with my soul. And have thine own way. And I surrender all. Whoa. (laughs) Do you really want to sing that? Maybe should we just stick to the Jesus, Jesus stuff? (laughs) It's a little easier. Here is the right response to Jesus' unlimited power, his divine lineage, and his human royalty. Let it be to me according to your word. That's what a servant does. That's how you respond to royalty. When the queen comes in, you bow down and you say, yes, my liege, whatever your will is, I'll do it. My life is forfeit. Jesus himself even acted this way as well. Second, or sorry, Philippians 2 says this, and I'll conclude here. Jesus, in becoming human, one of the things that made him great is that he even became human. Took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. Therefore, God has made him the greatest of all time and has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess in heaven on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we thank you and praise you that Jesus is Lord. Thank you for showing us that, Lord. It's... um, easy to miss. Everything in our world wants us to, whether it's shopping or entertainment, broken stuff or busyness. Just pray, God, that as this season comes, we would truly recognize him for who he is. Thank you for sending our Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the greatest there ever was or is or will be. In whose name we pray, amen.